0: Good morning, SCBC. It is a delight to be able to be here with you today, albeit virtually. My name is Melissa mcewen Skoglund. I am an associate rector, a priest at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church, just down the road on Regent Street from where you are. I'm sure many of you pass us on your way to and from church. Thank you to Scott for this opportunity to be able to share with you. You may know that I've gotten to know Scott over this past year in his work to engage the churches along Regent Street in partnership as we seek to serve God in our community. I also have had the privilege of getting to know Doug Hunt over the course of this past year through the Missio Madison cohort. And I have to say... It is so much fun through Doug to be able to hear the ways in which you are actively discerning, actively listening to how God is calling you in this present moment to use your space, to use your geography as you seek to follow the Spirit into your community. Beyond those two connections, I also share a little bit of an origin story with you. In that, I got my start in Wisconsin thanks to Elmbrook Church. It was Elmbrook Church who offered me my first Wisconsin job, who invited me to move to Wisconsin from Colorado over 10 years ago. And it's my understanding that FCBC was in part founded by a group that was sent from Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. So friends, it is a joy to be with you this special day. Special day, that's right, you heard me say it. You might ask, what makes this day special? Well, let me tell you, it has to do with an old story. It's an ancient story. It's a story that many of you have probably heard. It's the story of Pentecost. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be reading from Acts 2. Feel free to follow along. I am going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. We're in Acts 2 once again. When the day of Pentecost had come, they, being the disciples, were all together in one place. And at the sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native tongue of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Luke, our writer, goes on to list All of those languages, all of those nations represented. and let me tell you, it's a lot and it's hard to pronounce, but we'll pick up in verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirits, and they shall prophesy. Whew, man, I uh, don't know about you, but I read that passage and think, good Lord, the disciples make it look easy, don't they? They patiently wait for the Holy Spirit to arrive and all of a sudden, bam, they have clarity on what it is there to do. They're given the tools that they need, even the gift of language, a sense of urgency to carry out, to participate in the mission of God in their world. I don't know about you, but that rarely is my experience. How I dis- uh, experience discernment, experience this concept of joining in the mission of God isn't so clear cut. Often it's messy, it's slow, there's lots of wondering, lots of question, it's a bit more complicated. And I wonder if our distance both from The time, culture, geographical context in this passage, but also that combined with our familiarity of the story, lead us to think just that. That Pentecost was clean, that it was easy, that it was a story about how the spirit moved, the faithfulness of the disciples, and the conversion of the bystanders all happened in a clean, tidy, little package. I wonder if that's how the disciples saw it. As I've spent time this past week studying this passage and thinking about and praying about how it might intersect into your life and the work that you are doing as a community to discern God's mission in your context, I made three observations, three things that I want to call the postures of Pentecost that I thought I would share with you this morning. The first posture brings me back to those questions that we just raised. Was it really as easy as it looked? How did the disciples experience this whole thing we call Pentecost? This is one of those Bible moments where I wish there would have been a post-event interview. The disciples just could have sat down with Terry Gross or Barbara Walters. Maybe we'd get a little better idea of how this all went down. But we don't get that, right? What instead we get is this picture of how it ended, and prior to that, we get a picture of how it started with no middle. So perhaps we should look at how it started to get some clues. If you turn with me earlier to Acts 1, we'll begin at verse 3. This is Jesus' post-resurrection appearance to his disciples. After his, his being Jesus, suffering, he presented himself alive to them with convincing proofs Appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has sent by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. When he had said this, and they were watching, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus gives in his last moments with them, his followers, a big vision, a big commission, and then he leaves them, right? Isn't this what discernment often feels like we get a spark we have a vision a call an idea an inching an inkling from how god might be moving and then so often we're left to wait or left to sit and question could this really be or question how god after all i'm just one person we're just One church. Vision combined with waiting. Not ever knowing what exactly will come next. As much as I would like, Jesus doesn't offer his disciples a strategic plan for how this whole thing is going to unfold. Instead, he tells them to stay put. To wait. Now I wonder... What was going on in the disciples' heads, in their hearts, as they did just that, as they sat in waiting? They experienced grief over the loss of Jesus no longer being physically present with them. Did any of them doubt if what Jesus had promised would actually come to fruition? Were any of them Fearful, perhaps wondering if the same end that met Jesus would meet them. Did any of them question this task to which they were given? Did Jesus really say to the ends of the earth? Because there's not a lot of us here, and that seems really far. We don't know what the disciples thought what was going through their minds and hearts as they sat and waiting. But what we do know is that the disciples were human. And as humans and as the Gospels repeatedly demonstrate, even here in this last moment with Jesus, they were prone to questioning. They were prone to misunderstanding. They doubted. They were confused. They were impatient. They are occasionally fearful. And we also know how this all ends. We know, because of Acts chapter 2, that God was indeed faithful to Jesus's promise, that the Spirit did actually show up. The disciples were given all of the tools that they needed, even the faith they needed, to join God's mission in doing the unthinkable. It reminds me of what's written in the first letter to the Thessalonians, that the God who calls you is faithful. Dear ones, as you continue to discern how God is calling you in this moment, know that God is faithful to his promises. The God who called you is indeed faithful. Even if you don't know how it's going to work out. The second, second piece that stood out to me is that the disciples were called to a specific place and that specific place is where God was already present, where God was already at work. Let me explain. You'll remember that Jesus told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem. Well, it just so happened that this staying in Jerusalem coincided with the Feast of Weeks, that is, Shavuot, when the faithful worshipers of God, the worshipers of Yahweh, the Hebrew people, would journey to Jerusalem, specifically the males, for a major pilgrimage, for this significant festival in their worship life. It is important for us to remember that in this early stage of Christianity,
1: The disciples
0: still considered themselves Jewish. The idea that they were of a different faith tradition, of a different strain, wouldn't even be a consideration at this point, at least not until many, many years down the road. So when the disciples spill out into the streets speaking in different languages, they're speaking to their peers. They're speaking to their brothers in faith. They're speaking to fellow worshipers. It is with this understanding of Pentecost that we see the result is not necessarily conversion, but rather conversation. Peter's sermon points to the ways in which God is doing the same things that God has always been doing. Remember, he reads Joel, and he'll go on to read multiple passages from the Older Testament while at the same time doing something new. He gives a sermon, after all, and you don't give a sermon to people who aren't church people, right? Why is this important? I think it's important because this first joining of the disciples to the mission of God is a recognition of the way that God is already at work and God is already present in their world. The disciples didn't bring the gospel, they didn't bring God to Jerusalem. Rather, they pointed to the ways in which the gospel was already unfolding in their presence. Which then brings me to observation number three. How God is at work, or more specifically, how this spirit is at work. The scripture that Peter reads, as I mentioned earlier, comes from Joel. It depicts a prophecy of the spirit being poured out upon all people, the sons and daughters, young and old, slaves, both men and women. The spirit It's a picture of the spirit being given to all peoples, regardless of age, of gender, of race, where they came from, of title or position, socioeconomic status. The spirit doesn't erase or turn a blind eye to these differences, but it creates community in spite of them. The Spirit takes these people who shouldn't have anything in common and turns them into the prophesying community. That is the community that speaks that which is most true. Which, speaking that which is most true, requires us as people who, in Joel's depiction, would fall under the category of those with privilege, those with power, those with authority, to recognize the ways in which we have harmed or participated in systems that harm others that are a part of this prophesying community. Still, the spirit that is given at Pentecost is the spirit that tears down barriers, that erases divisions in order to build beloved community. As we seek to follow God's mission in the world, we should always strive to follow the Spirit in building the beloved community. So here we are. Three postures of Pentecost. Trusting in God's faithfulness. Recognizing the ways in which God is already at work in the world around us. And following the spirit that indeed creates beloved community. Perhaps this work isn't as easy as the disciples make it look, or at least, at least as easy as Luke writes about it. Perhaps it's a bit messier. Perhaps it unfolds a little bit more slowly or a little differently in each of our own context. But still, this call of trusting God's faithfulness, of recognizing God's work, of following the spirit and building the beloved community was never said to be easy. And even though it isn't easy, here's why we do it. Here's the promise in it all. We don't do it alone. This is the promise of Pentecost, that we do it as a people, who are commissioned as a people who have been filled and are surrounded by the Spirit. Dear ones, that is good news. And now may you receive this blessing. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God give you grace not to sell yourself short, grace to risk something big. Or something good grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love so may god take your mind and think through it may god take your lips and speak through them may god take your hands and work through them and may god take your heart and set it on fire amen
1: Appreciate Reverend Scoglin's, uh devotion to this community and <clears throat> spending that time in prayer, thinking about us, and her words to us as we think about our ministry in this neighborhood. God is faithful; God's at work in this neighborhood, and the the spirit unifies. And I hope you sense that unity in the spirit that we share with St. Andrew's. Now, let me offer this benediction. Go out into the world and labor to bring forth new life. Dream dreams, pursue visions, and speak of God's goodness in the words of those who would hear. And may the God who breathed life into creation be your delight. May Christ Jesus give hope to your dreaming. And may the Holy Spirit, your advocate and supporter, set your hearts ablaze with a new passion for peace. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.